Okay, so I want to say, uh, obviously, today is Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. I know that you guys have, re- <laughs> I mean, normally we appreciate you, but even during this time, it's even, it's even more, it's, you know, it just goes, goes beyond. I, 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 I know I talk to some of your moms, your young moms, especially with young kids. Oh my goodness, you know, just <laughs> sitting around all week, 24 seven. With without a break, and I God bless you, God bless you. There's nothing more I can say than God bless you. I it is a hard job, and uh, you what you do is very valuable, and um, more valuable than you realize. I think I think pouring your life into another little life, forming them and shaping their hearts and minds is a really 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 big deal. It's probably the best thing you can ever do in the world. So uh, God bless you in your work, and I hope you get a break today somehow, or, you know, somebody makes you dinner or whatever, you know, so, uh, have a good day. And, um, if you didn't get your coupon, we mailed out uh, mother's day coupons, Joseph Armani, who owns Delisa Chocolat in Ardmore has agreed to, uh, take those coupons and he'll, he'll amass them and save them and just charge me later. But, but basically you can get a pastry and a free coffee or a free tea and, you know, of your choice. So just go down there and get what you want. And, uh, it's on us. God bless you. And I hope that, I hope that helps a little bit anyway. Um, let me pray for us as we get into this. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you're, uh, you are here, that you are present, that no matter how we're feeling, some of us are feeling okay. We're feeling, uh, <laughs> sort of laissez faire maybe. Some of us might be feeling very anxious. Some of, some of us might be feeling very tired, very stressed out, very worn out, or happy. Whatever it is that we're feeling right now, we pray that you would actually give us eyes to look past our emotions and into your heart and what you want to communicate to us this morning. Because I believe that your word is so applicable to our lives and so useful to the situation in which we find ourselves right now and all the time. And it's you, God, the God of the universe communicating to us, and we want to open our hearts and our minds and our ears and our eyes and everything we have within us to to receive what you have to say to us uh, in the best way possible. So we pray that you would take away all the roadblocks from our all the distractions that we have around us right now to be able to hear you well. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we are in John chapter 14, right? Um, if you want to turn there. Uh, we're seeing, we, we've been in this series of John, and we're going to continue in it until we get to the end of the book. And this is our 14th sermon. Um, and we, we're, we're painting these portraits of Jesus. We, we're seeing Jesus in his last moments right now in John chapter 14, choosing not to take on the world as we would, right? <laughs> uh, we would do it very differently. But to change the world through loving those closest to him in his very last hours with his disciples before he goes to the cross. Now, it, so turn with me to John chapter 14 if you have a Bible. If you don't, you can just listen and I'll be reading the passages. Um, but today, John paints the portrait of Jesus as encourager, as encourager. And that's, that's probably a pretty important thing. 
Uh, there's there's too much in ja- in chapter 14 to do it justice, but we'll do a flyover and we're going to pick out all the most important things uh, to to focus on today. But Jesus encourages his disciples in this passage in two ways. Firstly, that there is hope for the future. And secondly, that there is help in the present. Hope in the future, for the future, and help in the present. Those are very important for us, I think. And we must remember that he is saying this, all, saying all of this in the context of him leaving the disciples, of going away. I mean, going away in the worst possible way, he's going to die on the cross, right? And they've left so much for, for him, right? They've, they've left jobs and friends and families and even reputation. And, and uh, you can imagine just being a Jewish man, just a regular guy, right, during that time, following some guy claiming to be God. That would be social suicide. It, it would be social suicide right now. But they've come to rely on him and to trust him and to love him and expect great things from him, and it has not crossed their minds at all, even though he has said it, it's not crossed their minds at all that he would actually leave them, right? I remember graduating high school, and maybe, you know, some of you are older, just take your mind way back, 20, 30, 40 years maybe, I don't know. Um, But I remember graduating high school, and I remember within weeks, everyone just seemed to dissipate. They went away right? And they all went off on vacation or they went early to college. And I just felt like left alone. And change is very difficult for us. For many of us, some some more than others, but change is difficult for everybody, really. And when people go away, we often feel a great sense of loss, don't we? And it's that pit in your stomach when you just, the, the day before, you had things to do with people, having dinner and hanging out and talking and enjoying and learning together, but then people leave or they go away or we're separated and there is this ominous sort of silence in your life. And we've all certainly felt this to some greater or lesser degree with social distancing. Different personalities experience it differently, but we've all experienced it, right? You know, uh, I was in Aceh, uh, Indonesia, right after the tsunami. I, I flew up there from southern Sumatra to northern Sumatra the, the, a few days after the wave hit. And I sat, I remember sitting in a tent with a guy whose whole extended family had been killed by that wave. So he was the only one left. It would like, it would be like me being the only guines left in the world, right? And he was the only one left. And what a devastating blow that would have been to have your entire bloodline just cut off. I couldn't imagine that. You know, I, I have listened to people also who have experienced the loss of a parent, the, the gut-wrenching feelings associated with it. That, and, and, that's, and that's what these guys are sort of looking into at this moment. Worse than uh, any loss that they'd ever experienced, worse than the loss of a parent. It, it is going to be the loss of the most central person in their lives, the one which Peter himself confessed to be the Son of God, to confess, confess the, to be the Messiah. And they're now sort of peering into that abyss. Imagine giving up so much just to follow Jesus, right? You're so excited. You've left family and friends and reputation and your job, your fishing net, right? And you've become reliant on his teaching, but more so on his presence in your life. 
There's something about his presence in our life that makes the world okay. And soon your teacher would go away in the worst possible way, and you'd be left to stand only on your own, just maybe with a few people around you. And when he's finally nailed to the cross, you might look around and you might ask yourself, did I make a mistake, (laughs) right? I mean, I gave up everything for this guy, and there he is, hanging on a tree, dead. What have I done? And they need encouragement in this new stage of their ministry. They definitely do. And it's in this context that Jesus begins by saying this. This is verse 1 of chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Simple statement, but very useful. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. That's what he says to them. You know the way to the place where I'm going. But Thomas right away pipes up and he reveals to us every, you know, right away the feelings of everybody in the crowd. He right, Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Now listen to that question in context. It's really not a question of place, but it's a question of relationship. In asking where, Thomas is really saying to Jesus, I don't want to be without you. You have become my life. What will I do if you go away? How can I be assured that everything's going to be okay? And isn't that, aren't those the questions that we're asking right now? How can we be assured that everything's going to be okay? Because that's the true question. And verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's, that's a really important verse, right? Verse 7, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do, not, you do know him and have seen him. You know, there was a missionary that tells this great little story about how he was taking the gospel into the jungle to a new tribe, like really far up north of wherever he was. I forget where he was. And he arrived at the village, uh, at, at, at this village, and he, it's a, it was a point beyond which his porters would go. He still had to go and find this tribe, and it was just so far that his porters, they wouldn't go any farther. And so the missionary appealed to the local chief of that village for someone in the village who could actually act as his guide from there on to find this northern tribe. And the chief summoned this man, a tall, sort of battle-scarred guy carrying a large axe. <laughs> And a bargain was struck, and the next morning the missionary set off uh, through the bush with this guy, with his following his new guide, right? And the way became increasingly rough, and the path had all but disappeared, and there was an occasional mark blazed on a tree maybe, or he wasn't really sure, and the path was narrow. And, you know, he's getting frustrated, and finally he says, stop, 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 stop. And he asked the guide if, you know, if, if he was really sure that he knew the way. And the man pulled himself up to his full height. He just kind of stood straight up, and he said, you know, 
You see this axe in my hand. You see these scars on my body. With this axe, I blazed the trail into that village to which we go. And I came from there. And these scars I received when I made the way which you asked, do you know the way? And before I came, there was no way. And I am the way. (laughs) Isn't that a great little story? That's exactly what Jesus is saying to us right here. I made the way. I know the way. I am the way. And I'll be with you on the way to your future hope. Maybe, you know, maybe he's not here in the flesh like they're used to, but in a new and better way he will be. Yet, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the line. Verse 6, that's the statement which sets Jesus apart, isn't it, right? The exclusivity of his message. People point that out, right? He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. It's the statement which so many people stumble over because they they think maybe it sounds unfair. Well, let's use a little logic here. You know, orthodoxy and tradition tell us that the Trinity— the Christian Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three the Trinity's three persons are one essence, right? Right? So it's, the Trinity is three persons in one, with one essence. And the best worldly image I can come up with are, are notes on a piano. Each note on a piano is made up of three strings. And those three strings are perfectly tuned to one another. So although there are three, when that hammer strikes all three at once, they produce one note which resonates in our chest and our hearts and our minds, right? And that is, that is precisely why Jesus says back in chapter 13, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, so he's going to send the Holy Spirit in the future, right? Receives me, Jesus himself. And whoever receives me also receives the one who sent me. So Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? It's right there in that verse. Trinity is expressed in that verse in three persons, one essence, one God. No single work done in this world is exclusive to one person of the Trinity. They work together as one essence, one note. You know the Father because you know Jesus, Thomas. You know, that was his answer to him. And Jesus then continues this, this conversation with Philip because Philip says in verse 8, he says, Lord, show us the Father. And that'll be enough for us, <laughs> right? And Jesus answered, and I, I expect he's a little bit frustrated with his answer because you listen to it. He says, it says, uh, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with, been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing uh, his work. Believe, in, believe me when I say that, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe in the evidence of the works themselves. So some see Jesus' claim as the only way to the Father, as exclusive, as negative, right? But let's consider what others may deem as a negative exclusive statement on his part as actually, I mean, so change your perspective, right? It's all in how we view things sometimes, you know, as a positive, logical argument for the unique personhood of God, the goodness of God, actually. For instance, let's just say if I were president, which I know you don't want me as president, but if I were president, 
there, there'd only be one me, right? There's no, there's not multiple personalities in me. There's not multiple Jasons, right? I, I'd govern this nation. I'd make laws. I'd lead out of conviction and heart, whatever a president does, right? And I'd lead out of who I am, who Jason Gwines is. And if you wanted to come under my leadership and you weren't a citizen of the United States, you'd need to forego your citizenship elsewhere and you'd need to become American, right? Pledging allegiance to my leadership as president as part of that. And I, I can't be other than who I am. And if you know me, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, that Jason Gwines is a unique person, just like all of you are. And I can't make myself into someone else. It wouldn't be true to who I am at all. I couldn't be a dictator of another country or govern a communist state since the principles held in those systems don't reflect who I am in character and conviction and belief and value and all that kind of stuff. So those who say, and I want to say this politely, but those who say that there are many ways to God tend to forget that if God is real, then he has personhood. Listen to that. If God is real, then he has personhood. And personhood is who he is. It is unique to him. And he can only be expressed in one way, as he is. To express himself otherwise would be to compromise his character and his being, his personhood, right? So Christianity is exclusive in its claim to come and follow the one true God. Yes, of course. But it is not exclusive in invitation. It is totally open in invitation to come and follow him. So Jesus' exclusive statement ceases to be negative, and it becomes a positive statement by a loving God based on who he is and as he pursues the world. A God who actually came into our universe, you know, into our world in the flesh to pursue us and to die for us. A God who's revealed himself in, in the only way that he is able to reveal himself, and there can be no other, and that is seen ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. So when Philip says this stuff, Jesus is like, haven't you, haven't you gotten it yet, Philip? In Jesus, the Godhead says, all three persons of the Trinity, the Godhead says, I am alive, I am real, I am here, this is who I am, this is what I expect of you, and then you are all invited into life with me, but you must leave your citizenship of your other kingdom behind. Leave the kingdoms of fear and of control and of sin and of death and enter the king kingdom of love and grace and freedom. And that's certainly not because he's horrible and controlling, is it? Rather, he's absolutely perfectly loving. It's because oil and water don't mix. You can't have two masters, right? Dual citizenship isn't possible in the kingdom of heaven. You can't have one foot in one world and one foot in the other. It just doesn't work that way. You'll not find the true living God, and I want to say this politely as well, you'll not find the true living God expressed in other religious systems since he, limited by his own nature, has chosen to reveal himself in only one way as he can in the person of Jesus Christ. 
Other religions may reflect some truths here and there with a small t, but they aren't the truth as Christianity expresses itself. So everyone's invited into the true kingdom of grace via Jesus, by way of Jesus. To to say there are many ways to God, meaning all religions lead to God, is naive at best. I'm sorry to say it. It is just naive at best, and it's dishonest at worst. It reveals we really don't understand what all the other world religions teach. Because when you study, you realize the character of God in all of those other religions is not the same. It is vastly different than Jesus. If if God is one, then God's character can only be expressed in one way. The God of the Bible is so vastly different than all the other religions of the world. I remember C.S. Lewis once pointed out the distinctive difference between Christianity as compared to all the rest of the religions of the world is grace. It's it, That's it. In all the other religions of the world, the person must save themselves. They must achieve their salvation themselves. But we confess that we can't. In Christianity, it is absolutely a rescue mission of God and by God alone. Thank God it is. The disciples have walked with this God the Son. They've rubbed elbows with him. They've ate with him. They've talked with him. They've struggled with him. They've laughed with him. And in doing so, they've met the Father who extends future hope to them. Even though Jesus leaves, they know the Father because they know the Son. You know, it's it's not necessarily about uh, about going to a place you know, as they get used to, go to the, going to the tabernacle or temple to experience the presence of God in the past, but God will now dwell within them. That's a big difference. They'll move from the idea of a holy building or a holy place to a holy people. Before Jesus, before Jesus came along, God used to dwell with people via the temple, and then Jesus came to dwell with them via the incarnation, right? The, the God made flesh, he walked among us, right? So Jesus came to dwell with them with, via the incarnation, and a time will come soon for the disciples where God will dwell with them via the Holy Spirit. The people will become the dwelling place of God through God the Holy Spirit. That is powerful. Therefore, it's ne- it's, it, it isn't necessarily where they go, but who they walk with, who they're in relationship with. So it's not about place, but it's about relationship. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the God of the universe? There's future hope, and God will not abandon you. That's a good thought right now. So a future hope, and a help in the present. Verse 12, very truly I tell you, Jesus says, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and and they will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I'll do it. But how will we do greater things, right? How will we ask when you're leaving, Jesus? You're not going to be here to ask, right? And he answers that question. Verse 15, he says, if you love me, keep my commands. Walk in obedience. That's part of the faith life, right? If you love me, keep my commands. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world, now listen to this. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives within, with you and will be in you. And I, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him, them and show myself to them. So think this through. Sure, there's hope for the future, right? Jesus promises to come back and gather them to a place that he has prepared. That, that's almost easier to swallow, right? But, he's, but his, his leaving, how can that be good for them right now? How will they survive without him? Later on in John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus says it's better that he goes away, otherwise the advocate wouldn't come. The Holy Spirit wouldn't come, right? So in light of what we've just said earlier about dwelling with us, right, we must realize that in the incarnation, Jesus, the man, was limited in the flesh. However, as Jesus ascends from the earth, this somehow, and I, you, none of us really understand it, but this somehow opens the door for him to dwell with his disciples via the Holy Spirit. Notice how the language passes back and forth in that passage. The Holy Spirit's in them. Jesus will be in them too. Since the the, the persons of the Trinity all work as one essence. To have the Spirit is to have Jesus. To have Jesus is to have the Father, right? And he continues this thought in verse 23 when he says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching." He seems to say that quite often, right? So we need to listen to that. You know, there is a, there is a, there is a factor of obedience in faith that is not, you know, we tend to take obedience as punitive. It's not really punitive. It's life giving. Obedience to where God wants to lead us and take us is actually life giving. So don't take that the wrong way. But anyway, let me start over. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So God is making his home with us, dwelling with us and in us. So although Jesus goes away for a time in the flesh, the fullness of God is right with and even in us in the form of God the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what Jesus promises right here. Verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. There it is again. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. There's no reason to be afraid. There the disciples are looking into the inevitable loss that they will experience. And Jesus gives them a hope for the future 
of a place prepared for them where, as it says in Revelation chapter 21, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or, or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He will have dealt with sin once and for all and wiped away all its power. A place where Revelation 21 continues, it says in verse 27, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I, you know, let, I'm going to stop right here. I, I don't have this planned in my sermon, but I just want to say, take Revelation 21, 27, and sit with that at some point today, and imagine what that means a place that nothing impure will ever enter, nor will anyone who uh, does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's pretty incredible. What kind of place would that be? How wonderful would that be? How intimate and loving and just joyful that would be. I can't even imagine it, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Amen. Right? The kingdom has come and it's going to come fully, you know, on, upon Jesus' return. And I, I, I long for that day. I really do. So anyway, back to the thoughts here and, and an exclusive invitation on Jesus' part. Yes. But not in the sense of shutting anybody out. That's not, that's not the purpose of the exclusivity of the statement. The exclusivity of the statement is just to be clear wh- where and who we're being called to. Everyone's invited to the party thrown by God, but it is his party. It's his invitation. True to his character, there's only one invitation given, one door to get in through Jesus, the only name given by which we are saved. Yet as we wait for that party, we've been given all that we need right now, right? God, the Holy Spirit, comes And where the Spirit is, there is freedom. And as we continue this faith journey, God the Spirit dwells with us. And as in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 9 through 16 says, and a little lengthy, but I want to read this. It says, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? That's true, right? Who knows what's going on inside my head except for what, what, except for me, right? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words uh, taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. And, and by the way, let them consider it foolishness. I don't care. I love Jesus. I, I love walking with Jesus. All right? I'm sorry. I, I digress. And he says, and, and cannot, so they consider foolish and they cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely, merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But if we have the mind, but we have the mind of Christ, it says. We have the mind of Christ. Do you understand that statement? That's crazy. It's crazy. 
Our spiritual formation is the ongoing process of the triune God transforming our lives and character towards the life and the character of Jesus, accomplished by the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit in the context of our biblical community. Just all this stuff working together. In the Holy Spirit, we have the mind of Christ. We actually have a a deep, inner, powerful connection to 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 the mind of God. And we might think Jesus went away and he'll return in the last days and that that he's now preparing a place for the for, for us, you know, there there and and when we read these verses, right? Like he's he's out there and we just have to suffer along until we get there. But rather look at this differently. Maybe it says this Jesus went away for those three days after his crucifixion. He prepared a place for us and then he returned, and now through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he guides us constantly to our future hope. So he's with us right now. There's hope for the future. But maybe even more importantly, there is help in the present. Help in the form of God the Spirit dwelling within us. The Spirit who gives us the mind of Christ, leading us to remember and live out of his words. And that is an awesome thought. I heard on the radio today, that I, I didn't plan this either. I, I heard on the radio this week that they did a test of people that were sick and the people that were prayed for recovered a lot faster than others. The others did. It just, I don't think we realize how much power is in the spiritual life, how present God really is. We're always looking for the absolute, you know, push button miracle to happen in the moment, but maybe God is forming and shaping us through all this tension and, and uh, pressure and, and things like that. And he's actually closer and more interactive than we even can imagine. Sometimes there are the push button miracles, but most of the time, I think he's just really working on us over and he's like cooking a slow soup, you know, or something like that. So it's an awesome thought that we have the mind of Christ leading us along. Yet the Spirit, as as a person, remember this, the Holy Spirit as a person can be grieved and can be ignored, right? It's the truth. Or he can be a relationship which is nurtured and enjoyed. Your choice, right? Whichever you want to choose, right? Yet I think it would be a tragic mistake not to pursue the relationship that you have with the Holy Spirit in your life. God within you, how can you go wrong? We think Jesus went away. He'll come back in the last days. However, what if he meant he'd go away for those three days in death, he'd prepare a place for us, and then he'd return uh, as our guide along the path to our future final hope. Amen to that. We often neglect the Holy Spirit of future hope and present help. Our Christology almost becomes idolatrous when we neglect the fact that the Trinity is one essence acting and working together. We fear being wrong. And taking risks, so we grieve the Spirit by just by keeping silent, not really interacting. But Jesus says we would do greater things as he dwells within us via the Holy Spirit. He's our tall, battle-worn guide leading us on the journey. Uh, You know, will we be troubled or encouraged, right? Because Jesus says, I'll dwell with you. I'll embody myself in the church. Do not be troubled, but follow. Amen to that, right? You know, as we leave today, I I just want to leave you with two things, basic things. 
number one, sit down every morning. Just make it a habit. Sit down, get quiet in the morning, be prayerful. Let the Spirit lead you through a passage in the Scripture. You know, go through a book. You know, go through a, a, a gospel or a letter of an epistle in the, in the New Testament or an Old Testament book, whatever you want. But go through something, right, in the Scriptures. Just take a little chunk each day. Use a journal. Write down your thoughts. Be prayerful. You know, let God the Spirit speak to you about what the Word of God is saying to you. Use the tool of observation, interpretation, and application. Notice what's going on. Try to interpret what it means to you in your life and in the life of the church right now. And then try to find a way to apply it. And, and the Holy Spirit will lead you through that process. Very important for you to be a self-feeder in that way. Number two, sit down at night and do a daily examine. You know, sit down in a quiet place away from everybody in distraction. I know that's hard, moms. All of you moms are like rolling your eyes like, yeah, when do I ever get that? You know, I get it. I get it. I've had little kids and, you know, I know it's not the same as being a husband but or a father, but uh, I get it. Anyway, but um, ask the Spirit to reveal where he worked during your day. What, what did he do in you? Where, where did he meet with you? How did he interact with you? Ask him to identify moments where he worked and where you responded well to him and where, where you could possibly respond better in the future. And if there is a thing in your life, a, a moment or, a, or an attitude or anything in your life that you need to put away and walk away from or turn away from that, because that's what repentance means. It means turning away. So turn away from it. Repent of your sin with the Holy Spirit in that day and, 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 and ask him for forgiveness and then express your gratitude for his constant care. Walk with Jesus well during this, uh, this time especially. I love you guys. I, I am so excited to get back and, and, and see you uh, physically. And by the way, if anybody is really needing some interaction, please email me. Please email spiritualmentors at 68.org. Find, just get on the phone or get on a, a link, you know, fa- you know, FaceTime with somebody or whatever. Get some spiritual interaction from somebody else. Get some just emotional interaction with somebody else you know i will drive by your house and stay six feet away and give a virtual hug and all that kind of stuff we need that contact at some level and uh and i do not want you to be suffering in silence silence is never the good thing right so um last thing i want to say mom (laughs) happy mother's day love you and uh uh love you very much and Mother-in-law, you too. Happy Mother's Day. So uh, God bless you guys, and we will see you next week if we don't see you before. Amen? Amen.